You know, as I've observed people that I've admired, the one trait that they've got is that they are highly, highly organized, but they're able to pivot as things change. The reality is we, we, we just need to be connected to humans. <laughs> I mean, once, once we're connected to people, uh, no matter what their difference is, whether it's uh, racial, gender, whether it's physical, depending on you know, different social, economic or cultural backgrounds, the art of being human in today's world is to get rid of our fear, our deep-seated innate fear of the unknown and really get to the heart of the matter. We became a startup, a 130-year-old startup. Uh, the team's mentality changed. We were hungry and we were scared. Uh, we were creative and we took risks. And we had a common goal. You know, for us, the most important value is family, uh, family and friends. And, and, and that's what gets passed on. That's what we celebrate and cherish uh, you know, every day. And I know it sounds trite, but it's, but it's true. I actually, you know, we often talk about, you know, their next job or career or what have you. I often coach uh, younger folks to say, pick great leaders because great leader, leaders create great work. Be less focused on the title, the job itself, but rather the environment that that leader is going to create for your success. I wonder why I've always been so captivated by great leaders. If you can see my bedside table, it looks like a Jenga puzzle stacked high with historical biographies. On Netflix, I gravitate towards documentaries about people who make things happen. Or Steve Jobs said, put a dent in the universe. So many reasons why I admire these people. Their vision, their ability to animate it through incredible speeches, their sacrifices, and this rare ability to harness the intellectual, emotional, and financial capital to bring all this together to go after a better outcome, a desired outcome. I have no preferences. It could be a leader in business or government, academia, not-for-profit, the arts, sports, gender, ethnicity, political affiliation. It doesn't matter to me. What matters most now as I get older are the ones who pursue a higher purpose than conquest or profit or prestige or power. They're trying to make a positive difference to planet Earth. I look at Chatter That Matters, I now have over 75 episodes and the vast majority focus on these type of people. The small business heroes, people like Kathy Chang and Paul Hembro, Tracy Shepard, the thought leaders like Carolyn Paxton, Ujual Arkagal, the trailblazers like Rick Hansen and Chris Hadfield, big thinkers like Dan Ariely and Anne Kavokian, spiritual leaders like Dimple Mukherjee or Rocco Rossi, and business leaders like John Love and Michelle D'Emmanuel. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. And this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. So many of them really bring to life such incredible insight and lessons. And today in Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC, I'm going to chat with Michael McCain. In any circle and every circle, Michael's admired for his integrity, his transparency, his vision, and his ability to bring about what he calls a desired endgame. If you remember, Michael McCain was the person who faced the cameras in 2008. There's no lawyers or spin doctors present, just him talking about the 23 people who died as a result of a listeria outbreak in one of his plants. And today, Michael shares his story from growing up as the son of the founder of the McCain French Fry dynasty to blazing his own trail. You will learn such incredible lessons in life and leadership and be moved by the special relationship Michael had with his father to a letter he pens each week to every employee. 
Well, what I admire most is how Michael is changing the rules of capitalism by shifting his pursuit from just realizing shareholder value to achieving shared values that benefit all stakeholders, including Mother Earth. Michael's a wonderful father, a dear friend, and he's one of the leaders that I admire most in my life. Michael McCain, one of the leaders I admire most, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Thank you, Tony. It's wonderful to be here with you. So, Michael, you were born in Florenceville, New Brunswick. What's it like to grow up on the East Coast of Canada? Uh, well, they, you know, they say once a maritimer, always a maritimer. I think there's a, you know, there's a certain maritime culture of uh, the people there and culturally are very authentic and very grounded, work hard, play hard. They also uh, are very prolific in their colorful language, you know, four-letter words. I used to say to my dad that, you know, if you took the four-letter words out of his uh, vocabulary, he'd be functionally illiterate. Speaking of your dad, your dad and, your, and his brother in a single generation built McCain Foods into a Canadian-owned and globally respected powerhouse. As a young boy, did you realize at the time what your dad and brother were achieving? No, not really. Uh, grew up in uh, Florenceville, New Brunswick. It was population 700. You know, I think we kind of focused on living our lives in a, you know, in a small rural town and being part of the community and in, uh, in every way. And so, no, no, I really didn't, uh, really didn't appreciate or connect with that uh, early on in my life. So. I have to believe, though, as that business grew, you know, your name had a great impact in the community. Were you treated any differently as a kid being a McCain or did you get to be just one of the kids that gets to roam around a 700 person town? Um, I, well, I certainly focused on being one of the crowd kind of running around raising hell with everybody else, you know, my age and, uh, being one of the gang and part of the community. I'm, I'm sure there was elements of, uh, you know, of the, the fact that, you know, your name is your name, but, but I, I just don't think that was a big deal. It was just, uh, just not part of the gig, if you will. As the business is starting to grow in any family business, you're obviously looking at your children down the road as potentially your legacy. Did, was that pushed on you at all as an early, early age and saying, Hey, you got to learn about business. You're going to come in. And- no, not at all. My, uh, both of my parents and the kind of the family culture was just like, kind of, first of all, you got to grow up and live a, uh, live as um, constructive and productive a youth as you can. And, and then after that, you just got to do what uh, is going to make you happy and be, you know, be productive, work hard do good things and, uh, and everything else will follow. So no, there was no, uh, there was no expectation setting. I find that a, a lot of times when you leave home, you move to university, there's a lot of personal growth that happens. In your case, you went to uh, Mount Allison and then off to Western to get your MBA. What happened to Michael McCain during those days? And what did you take away from both experiences? Um, well, early on in my life, uh, I had maybe some issues with uh, patience. And um, some people might argue that hasn't left me uh, 50 years later. But uh, I left high school early. I didn't uh, didn't actually finish my high school education. And I went to Matt Allison at the, at the age of 16. Uh, enrolled in the commerce program there. Enjoyed it immensely. I got as much as I could out of the uh, out of the program at Western or at uh, Mount Allison, I should say, and um, but then after a couple of years, I sort of got a little bit impatient again, and uh, the the dean of the commerce program there suggested that I get into the um, Western Business now the Ivy School of Business um, HBA program, and so I I transferred from Mount Allison to Western and um, really really dug into the uh, business school program at Ivy 
thoroughly enjoyed it. Very foundational for me in my life and sort of uh, what I've done. And I and I really appreciate it. It's, uh, you know, growing up in Forceville is, uh, is just a wonderful experience. I actually, after university, ended up back in Forceville for a period of time. And a great community life. And uh, we were all very... Uh, centered on that community life. So, Michael, you're a young guy and you're you're making some decisions because you're not patient, you're not satisfied. And what advice can you give to young people today who are maybe caught on the path they're, they're starting to realize might not be the path they're after? What advice in terms of how they can course correct to find things that, that as you say, you can really dig into and help to validate who you are? Yeah, that's a tough question, Tony. I, I think... Uh, you know, I've always uh, I've always counseled people in their in their lives and careers is to uh, you know follow the old axiom of beginning with the end in mind. That doesn't mean that your end state won't modify; it always does over your lifetime. But always be working towards some kind of an outcome, and uh, you know make sure that your steps towards that outcome are deliberate, and uh, and that you're getting out of it towards that outcome as uh, as best you can. From time to time, which is your, I think your observation, people are not necessarily content with the with their current state, and so their outcomes may change, and they have to reimagine what that looks like. And there's lots of different ways to do that. Clearly, uh, having a view uh, as to what you're working towards is, is uh, I, I personally think, is pretty constructive. When we come back. Michael McCain talks about the advice his dad gave him when he joined the family business. It's not about how to achieve your dreams but how to lead your life. If you lead your life the right way, the karma will take care of itself. The dreams will come to you. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Today, I chat with one of Canada's most admired leaders, Michael McCain. You might not have been born with a silver spoon in your mouth, but it's quickly filling up with silver as your, as your dad and his brother's business grows. So you could have inherited a perfectly paved speedway, but you've always been one to carve out your own identity. When did that start? Was that that 16-year-old that was losing patience, or did that happen later on where you said, I'm Michael McCain, I can be a leader of almost anything versus being expected to be the leader of something that somebody else has created? Well, I'd never start in my own in, in in my own narrative inside my head with the words, I'm Michael McCain, because that doesn't mean to me. You know, I've always um, had the desire to do important things. It didn't necessarily mean, you know, wealth creating things. It's just important things that could impact uh, other people in positive or constructive ways. And, you know, if that was through commerce and business, then that's great. If it was in other ways, that's fine too. My grounding in the, in the Atlantic Canada and particularly with my parents was always, uh, you know, very uh, values-based. You know, grew up in a small community. Uh, we lived very normal and and grounded lives. You know, my mother was played the, the organ at church every Sunday and carted us off to virtually every hockey event that we uh, participated in. I started working uh, at McCain Foods when I was 14 years of age in the construction crew as a, a Mason's helper at 14. And uh, and my father's instructions were very simple. You know, you got to be the hardest working guy there. As simple as that. Like if you're going to work there or anywhere else, you got to be the hardest worker there. So I don't necessarily feel like, uh, you know, there was a sense of, in fact, it was exactly the opposite, any sense of entitlement or privilege in that regard. It was, it was more 
a sense of, uh, you know, wanting to uh, do important things and make a contribution. Michael, I remember being with you on your birthday many years ago and your dad calling to wish you a happy birthday. I and the people with you could just see your eyes light up. You talked about your mom playing organ, but tell me about your relationship with your dad and why he meant so much to you. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's uh, a very important question to me, because uh, particularly now, because we're coming up on uh, one decade since his passing, and uh, there isn't a day goes by that I don't think of him and uh, reflect on uh, his life and our relationship. And uh, it's probably the biggest gift in my life is that I had a very unique uh, relationship with my father. He was uh, my parent. And stages in my life, he was my boss, but he was also, you know, an amazing mentor. As life moved on, he became, you know, largely my best friend. And uh, not largely, he was my best friend. And we had a very intimate, a mutually respectful and uh, intimate relationship. And obviously, that had impact on an impact on me. And but I also feel that I had that I supported him and. In important ways as well in that uh, in that relationship, and as I said, I uh, it's now a decade later since his passing, and I miss him every day. So t- let's talk a little bit about uh, Michael McCain moving from a fourteen-year-old uh, assistant mason to uh, in seventy-nine. You join the company in a sales position. When a a son of the founder goes into an organization, and again, my listeners, this is this is a world where they're they're not always attached to. What's that like going into work? knowing you're probably going to have to do just like your dad advised you when you're 14, be the hardest worker because the immediate thing people would look at is going, you know, that's the boss's son or that's the founder's son. Well, yeah, you know, I'm, it's not lost on me that that's an initial impression. And, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's certainly true. But I was pretty confident that I was going to be judged on my accomplishments and not on my name. And I was going to be judged on, you know, my ability to connect with people. And, you know, I was committed to doing my best and working working like a bastard towards those ends and um you know while they may be the first impressions i think it's you know if you're if you really are committed to doing good things and supporting other people and working harder than anybody else to accomplish those things in the best interest of you know the team and the whole i think people soon get over that in previous shows i've talked about family business and family matters, and how it's not always easy to pass the baton on from one generation to another. In fact, the math and statistics would say it's incredibly difficult. And in your family, a similar situation happened. If I have it, if I understand it correct, because I met you just after this, your dad saw so much out of you when you were running McCain's in the States and tried to convince his brother that you should be given the game ball and to take over this business. And that conversation didn't go as planned. What was it like to be in the middle of two brothers that meant so much to each other, that did so much together, and knowing in some ways you're the silver ball between two flippers? Um, well, that's, that was a very um, challenging part of uh, our entire family's life. And uh, certainly I was no exception to that. Uh, my father, you know, was a was a great supporter of mine and a great champion and and a mentor, as I mentioned previously. And I appreciated that. I you know deeply appreciated that. But his his support didn't come in the form of uh, I want this for Michael. That that's actually a popular, uh, very popular misconception. A bit of um, media mythology. His support actually was for process. 
in business families, process is everything, independent process. So that, as he would have said, and as he did say many times, I, whether I support Michael or any other family member is irrelevant. In a merit-based architecture, it shouldn't be family judging family. It should be independence in process that's transparently you know, applied. And that's what he advocated for. Yeah, obviously, these things become matters of dispute and did. It became very public. And you know, I don't think there's anybody, me included, in the family that doesn't uh, regret the outcome today. None of us would say that we didn't have some direct role in that. And when you moved on, the world took notice because you went from a business that your family built brick to brick to you and your dad leaving McCain's, at least operationally, and investing in Maple Leaf Foods, a business that would argue needed quite a bit of renovation. First of all, it must have been a very different day for you two when you walked in and realized this was going to be the next chapter of your life. Well, yeah, it was. It was, uh, it was quite traumatic. You know, in the first instance, um, you know, we, we did have to carve out the mental energy to say we're, we are moving on, and that means a professional life managerially outside of the McCain organization. Easier for me in my 30s than it was for my father in his 60s because you know, he and his brother built the McCain organization starting in 1957, you know, the year I was conceived, actually, brick by brick when he was 20, starting at 27 years old at his age. And so, you know, like you can imagine that outcome for a man who's got his life vested in something like that and to have to move on in the mid-60s. I totally admire that. How did that make you feel knowing he just left his baby behind because his other baby, being Michael, he decided this is where he wanted to attach his destiny to? No, no the emotional check-in is, uh, is something akin, Tony, to when you fall off the horse, you got to get back up on and ride. It, it was super important for all of our futures and confidence and our ability to move on was to you know find something else to constructively to do build and create and and do good things someplace else and it was super important emotionally without that all kinds of negative emotions can emerge right you know i think we all had a belief that victimizing anybody ourselves included was uh, would be our enemy here and so we just had to move on and that was part of it the big learning was though is uh, out of all this and this is this has been an incredible insight just a, a very powerful insight in a situation like that, and, and an insight that actually in his, in his mid-60s that my father came to as well, is that you can have great uh, satisfaction building something without your name on the stationery. The journey is about the people you're on the journey with, side by side, you know, having some kind of positive impact in society together. It's a huge learning in life and uh, in that situation, and uh, it was for all of us. We come back, Maple Leaf Foods is blossoming under Michael's leadership, but then a listeria outbreak in one of their plants takes the lives of 23 people. How Michael reacts is a case study in leadership and transparency. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, and a big thank you to RBC for sponsoring Chatter That Matters. Speaking of matters, I have a question for you. You check in on your family, your health, even your car. When was the last time you did a check-in on your finances? Well, RBC Check-In is a virtual experience with no obligation. I got answers to all of my money questions, big and small, and I now have a plan for my future. 
Book a check-in at rbc.com slash check-in. Welcome back to Chatter That Matters. My conversation with one of Canada's most admired leaders, Michael McCain, continues. Michael, take me back to August 2008. You're in the process of transforming Maple Leaf Foods. You have new products and new processes. And the listeria hits, and you go from nourishing people to seeing 23 people die, as you say, on your watch. Uh, yeah, well, the, the day was um, uh, it was a Saturday. I was in uh, Georgian Bay, actually, at our, our place in Georgian Bay. And uh, then I got the call uh, that... Um, this uh, this had been discovered. You know, we went into um, kind of immediate overdrive to try and figure it out, figure out what was really factually taking place. And, and very shortly after, I realized Tony that um, you know we were by any account uh, on the precipice of demise if we didn't handle this appropriately. You know, our first thought went to uh, you know the emotional side of it is you know. Jesus, people are sick, and and ultimately twenty three people died on our watch, and you know that's just just a uh, a really challenging, difficult uh, thing to absorb. Our first priority was to recognize that we were accountable for this, and that it wasn't about us; it was about our consumers, and you know the the twenty three victims that was the that what we had to pay most careful attention to and had to be our number one priority you know we governed ourselves accordingly um uh, we said if we get through this it'll be because we did the right thing one of those maritimer or atlantic canadian um beliefs is always that uh you know all of us make mistakes it's not the mistakes we make it's how we handle the ones that we do inevitably make that matters and i think our our response to that was defined by you know, the overarching sense of accountability and facing that head on, a desire to take action, to not just talk about these things, but to be very action-oriented in how we correct for these mistakes. Um, and it was defined by uh, a sense of transparency and openness and authenticity in, in how we show up. Listen, you didn't ask for this. You didn't want it. Nobody wanted it. But if there's one thing that came out of it was a country that admired a leader that stood in front of a camera, not protected by spin doctors or lawyers or words that are, you know, vague. You look people straight in the eye. What gave you the confidence to do that? Because I have to believe during that time you would have had advisors not agreeing with your strategy of that maritime phrase of owning up to your mistakes. You know, I admire your thoughts on that, Tony, and I appreciate that. But, you know, this was nothing more, nothing less than a tragedy in our company's history, and, and first and foremost for the victims of uh, of our of our situation. I've never then, and I don't today, uh, allow any of us to who were involved in that at the time, including myself, to accept any 
kind of awards or awards or recognition that, you know, oh, geez, what a great job you did fixing a mistake. It was just a mistake, set of mistakes. And, you know, we own it. So there's no real heroes or accolades, I think, that are warranted in something like this. As far as us standing up and, uh, you know, owning the challenge as we collectively did, I mean, confidence is probably not the not the word that I would attach to it. I mean, the, the reality is, is that I was I and everybody else around me were scared as hell. But no way was I implying that you were using this to uh, to be admired or have attention on you. I, I know you well enough, but it, it is studied like Johnson & Johnson's Tylenol crisis as a lesson in authenticity and transparency. And I think that the majority of my listeners would say that that is lacking in society nowadays, that people do hide behind vernacular, veneer. And I think you gave a lot of people a lesson that says, I had my hand on the rudder. This was my ship and I'm going to be the, like the old adage. I'm the captain's going to go down with my ship. I'm the last one off this boat. So not to put you on a pedestal because you didn't ask for it, but what curious what your kids felt during it. I know you, you're an incredible father. I'm not going to spend much time on your family because you're very private. I've had one of your children work for me. I, I know them. They're, they're just extraordinary individuals. How did they feel about you and their family name during that time? Well, first of all, Tony, thank you for saying that about my kids. It's one of the one of the things that my mother said to me 25 years ago. She said, "Michael, don't ever don't ever lose sight of the fact that your legacy won't be your business or your commercial accomplishments or anything else. Your legacy is the five souls that you uh, and your uh, partner brought into this world, and that's your legacy, and that's what really matters." And I'm very proud of it. How do they feel? I think they. Um, you know, they were as scared and worried as, as I in terms of what the implications would be for all of the stakeholders in this, uh, in that tragedy. And, um, but they were also at the same time equally supportive and, uh, and I appreciated that. The height of Donald Trump's power and ego, you go right at him because of the downing of the Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752 out of Tehran, the death of 57 Canadians on board. Certainly someone on, on that plane that you, that whose death you took very personally. You sent out a tweet. And if I've got it here, I'm going to read it. A narcissist in Washington tears world's accomplishments apart, destabilizes regions. U.S. is now unwelcomed everywhere in the area, including Iraq. Tensions escalated to feverish pitch. Little damage of this irresponsible, dangerous, ill-conceived behavior. 63 Canadians needlessly lost their lives in the crossfire, including the family of one of my Maple Leaf colleagues. His wife and 11-year-old son, we are mourning and I am living. Uh, a company that does a lot of business in the United States, throwing a haymaker at someone that really is emotionally incapable of responding in a capable way. What was the motivation? Are you happy you did it? Any regrets? No regrets, that's for sure. First of all, it wasn't an impulsive response. I uh, had extensive discussions with my colleagues, a couple of people outside of Maple Leafs, about the uh, importance of of um, saying things like this, I would tell you that my first word was not narcissist; it was sociopath. I was talked out of that. Learning a little patience in your older age, uh, Michael. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think what diff- what what was really important here is that we were acting out of the rage that one of our colleagues was so deeply affected by this that that made it very personal for us. Our teammates are important to every single soul on the, on the Maple Leaf team. You know, I think putting a stake in the ground to, in support of the outrageous outcome 
of that ill-conceived behavior on one of our own made it very personal. I think that gave us the uh, that gave us a bit of a license to speak. Having said that, the thoughts that I put forward, I I and my colleagues all believed in, and uh, and I do think it's important for leaders in society, corporate and others, to take positions. We we have views, and we have views on not just our business, but on society and. Sometimes the difference between right and wrong, and we will take positions. I had John Love on a previous show, and he, he shares the same belief that as business leaders, uh, we need to have a stronger voice because that content has to be put in within, you know, how policy is created. And it's not simply what a lot of people think is, well, business is chasing profit. It's business that is employing people, business that is uh, treating the environment a certain way. So you and John are very similar in that belief. And it starts with a belief system that we are in this for shared value, not shareholder value. And there's an important distinction. Shared value recognizes that there are many stakeholders in this business. Shareholders are one of them, an important one, and we do care and will care for the enduring value creation of shareholders like all stakeholders, but they, it, it, uh, the belief system around shared value explicitly rejects the primacy of shareholder value and says our job and our future is based on a balanced view of all the stakeholders and our ability to create enduring value for all of those stakeholders in balance, including the environment and protecting the resources that we've been entrusted to in our lives. It is an important lens. I think it's a lens, uh, Tony, that uh, is kind of defines the future of what uh, capitalism and, and uh, the enterprise looks like 20 years from now. When we come back, Michael McCain offers his thoughts on Canada's future. Great leaders dare to be different. They don't just talk about risk-taking, they actually do it. And one of the leaders shared with me the fact that the most impactful development comes when you were able to build the emotional stamina to withstand people telling you that your new idea is naive or reckless or just plain stupid. Welcome back to Chatter That Matters presented by RBC. I'm chatting with Michael McCain. What you're about to hear, I think will give you hope that many of the world's problems can be solved by businesses extending their focus beyond making a profit. I know a lot of people that work with you or have worked for you and, and they hold you in the highest regard. They talk about one of the things that is constant is this weekly letter that you write. I don't know if you still do, but you write a weekly letter to your employees. What's the motivation for doing it? And is as much therapy for you as it is a chance for them to connect with you? Well, I, would, I, would, I don't know if I'd describe it as therapy, although I do uh, I do enjoy it and get value out of it personally writing this note. I still do it. Every week I write this note. It's very authentic, including the odd four-letter word from time to time and misspelling. And, and it's very personal in the sense that I talk about you know what I'm seeing and feeling as it relates to the business, but I, I share some you know, personal elements of my life is at the same time. And, you know, it was originally motivated, uh, Tony, because uh, we do believe in in, the, in our organization in a world of transparency and authenticity. And these things are really important. And uh, 
it was a it was really a platform for me to communicate to all of my organization with you know unfiltered. You know, it's facilitated over the last twenty five years or so. It's facilitated just a lot of two way dialogue in the organization. And if leaders share transparently, they usually get that in return. There's a lot of Canadians now that are feeling the abuse of this relentless pounding of negative energy, negative news that's been hitting us for quite some time, pre-COVID and during COVID. What can you tell Canadians from your viewpoint that will inspire them to realize that Canada still is and can continue to be one of the great countries on this planet? I feel a connectivity to being Canadian today more than I ever have in my life, uh, Tony. I think what defines us is um, this very deep sense of community, commitment to each other, not the individualism that you see around the world, nor is it the mothering of, of uh, authority that you see in other parts of the world. So we have this sense of community combined with freedom that I think is really differentiates us. I think our balance being socially progressive while simultaneously being fiscally responsible is uh, really, really uh, defining by and large over the last 50 years. You know, I think we've got a lot to be proud of. And I really, I feel great about it. I think it's a very hopeful place to be in, uh, in this country. And, uh, you know, notwithstanding the challenges we've had in the last, in the last year in dealing with this, uh, uh, this crisis, I think we can, we can come out of this with a tremendous amount of hope. Michael, it was uh, fantastic that you shared this story. I know you don't like to open up, but you're, this is going to mean so much. Yeah, well, thank you, Tony. It's always, so we go back a long way and uh, lots of uh, memories together. I really appreciate the time to chat today. Thank you. If you're a fan of Chatter That Matters, you know that I often turn to my sponsor, RBC, for context. You know, today we're talking to Michael McCain about leadership, family values, sustainability. And so who better than RBC, who's an organization that touches so many lives and livelihood? Today, I reached out to a good friend of mine, John Stackhouse. I first met John when he was a, a young guy just running the Reporter Business Magazine. How did he get that job? And then almost overnight, he's the editor-in-chief of the Globe and Mail. And then his next move was to the office of the CEO at RBC. And I describe him somewhat of a Merlin. He's there to kind of advise, really looking at future trends, trying to digest it all. And who better than John Stackhouse? The guy's written several best-selling books. He has one of the most brilliant podcasts out there called Disruptors. And if you want to just sit back and listen to his last episode, it's a two-part series on the creative class and how important creativity is in terms of the lifeblood of Canada going forward. I encourage you to listen to that. So that's probably the longest introduction I've ever done. John Stackhouse, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Tony, it's always great to uh, see you and uh, hear your voice. So John, you're always two or three chess moves ahead than most in terms of really trying to understand the future and what's happening. Michael McCain made a compelling argument to, for business to shift their focus away from just being obsessed with shareholder value, where your North Star is profit and return on investment, to what he called shared values, where every stakeholder has a seat at the table, the planet Earth, animal welfare, local community. Do you think that is the future for capitalism in terms of saying we, we can embrace this new role and be part of saving the planet and some of these big problems that we're facing? Or do you think that Michael's just an anomaly? No, I mean, Michael, Michael's a terrific leader, terrific thinker. Uh, this isn't just the future of business, future of capitalism. It's the present. 
not every capitalist, not every business gets it. But when you look around the world across pretty much every sector, the most uh, successful companies are the ones that look for that value in others, not just uh, for their own uh, for their own return. When you're producing results, value, true value for others. And the most successful ones to me, Tony, have always been the ones that try to solve other people's problems. And in a way, that's what so-called stakeholder capitalism is about. It's about thinking about what, what are the challenges, but opportunities for your community, for your employees, for your, your suppliers, to work with them to enhance their, their value. And you talk about great insight and leadership in terms of helping solve other people's problems. What are the other things you learned along the way, interviewing, rubbing shoulders, and in, in your own right, being a great leader in terms of what matters most? especially as we start looking forward in terms of how this country is being uh, punished and attacked, what's going to rally this country and make Canada the kind of uh, place it can and should be? Yeah, I've been really lucky, Tony, to be able to interview and talk to lots of presidents, prime ministers, CEOs uh, over the years and right around the world. They all have different attributes, but I often think about what are the common attributes. And certainly one of the most common ones is an ability to look beyond oneself and beyond one's interest and to look into the future. That's a rare, rare skill. And an even rarer skill then is to bring that into the present and make it really compelling for those around you. Because great leaders are ones who don't tell people what to do. They inspire people. So John, I was talking earlier about your podcast, The Disruptors, and I'm a huge fan of it, as you know, and uh, often send you little notes saying, I like this part or that part. What's coming up next? What, what's, what's in, I know you just finished this little creative class and talking about the creative community and how important it is. What's, what's next on the, uh, the sheet? Well, we've got a great uh, episode out now on, on the space race. Uh, you, many of you would have uh, seen Elon Musk on, uh, on SNL, uh, and he's doing amazing things with SpaceX. But you know what? Canadians, and Elon actually is a Canadian, but uh, Canadians here in Canada are doing some really terrific things in space. And it's a great opportunity for the country. Uh, so I hope that inspires people. Then we're going to be looking at uh, telehealth and what the pandemic and the social isolation is challenging as it is, can do for healthcare. Uh, healthcare has saved us in many ways, despite the challenges, uh, but we've got an opportunity with digital technology to really advance healthcare in the 2020s, and there's no country better positioned to do that than Canada. John Stackhouse, uh, Merlin, as I described you in terms of the uh, office of the CEO at RBC, uh, author, podcaster, thank you so much for joining me on Chat of the Matters. Tony, thank you. Always great to be with you. Don't miss a moment of next week's show as we chat with Joe Pine. Joe joins me to share his thoughts on our future and why it will matter to you. I'm Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. 